thanks for your company. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and this is The Bible Teachers. Today we are closing our series, The Search for Certainty, with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the 15th program in the series, and it's been a wonderful journey, hasn't it, Danny? It certainly has for me. I've really enjoyed this journey. I have too. And where are we going in this final presentation? Well, in this final presentation, we're bringing everything to a conclusion. Last time we were together, we discovered that Jesus Christ calls his people out of Babylon. And today we're going to discover the place that Jesus invites his people to be in at the very end of time as they prepare for the coming of Jesus. Sounds great, and a, and a great way to finish off the series. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to All it. All the best, Danny. Thank you so much. Welcome again to the Search for Certainty series. As we have shared earlier on, this is our, our final message in this series um, that we have been in together over the past number of weeks. And the title is Following the Voice of the Good Shepherd, or as I have titled it in the past, Solving the Riddle of Religious Confusion. This is an all-important message, my dear friends. And before we plunge into God's Word and this important message, we need to ask and pray that God's Holy Spirit speak to each and every one of us through His Word. So let's just pause and pray pray for a moment. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that as we open Your Word one final time in this series, in Seeking for Certainty, we ask and pray that the certainty of Your Word will be brought home to our hearts and to our minds, that as we open your word, that you will open our hearts and open our minds, that we may be willing and able to receive your wonderful truth, the beautiful truth that sets us free. So we ask and pray through the Holy Spirit that you'll speak to each and every person who is listening to this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our last presentation, we discovered that in the Bible, God has identified the false system of religion as Babylon. In the book of Revelation, we have discovered that there is a woman. Um, she is covered in gold and she is dressed in, in scarlet and purple. And she is a symbol for the false church. We have this false woman that represents a false church in the book of Revelation. A woman represents a church in Bible prophecy. And also we've discovered, today we'll discover that there is a pure woman in the book of Revelation. And this pure woman, as you may have guessed, represents the pure church of Christ. In fact, in Revelation, you have the true and the false all the way through. You have the lamb versus the dragon, the lamb being Jesus Christ, the dragon, of course, being Satan. You have Jerusalem, the city of God, versus Babylon, the city of the enemy. You have the seal of God, which we have discovered, and the mark of the beast. You have the virgin of Christ, and then you have the harlot of Babylon. So you have these two opposites all the way through Revelation. In fact, at the end of time, there'll only be two groups. As we've discovered time and time again, there will be those who are the saved, and there will be those who are the lost. In Revelation chapter 18, we have an appeal from God that comes straight from heaven where God calls to his people, all people, all those who are willing to heed and listen to the voice of God, to follow his truth. The call is, come out of her, my people. The call is to come out of Babylon. That's in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 4. Well, you may be thinking, Danny, 
I understand that God wants me to come out of Babylon. Babylon, as we have discovered, is a symbol for confusion, uh, a symbol for error. To put it in a few words, Babylon represents opposition to God and his will and his truth for us, that beautiful truth that sets us free in Jesus Christ. So we come out of Babylon, but where are we to go now? Does God, in fact, have a church? Does God have a place that he can point to and say, this is the place where my truth is being shared, where my truth is being taught, where my truth is being lived? The world today is filled with confusion over religious beliefs. There are many different religions to choose from. This confusion is especially evident in Christianity, where there are literally hundreds and thousands of different churches. It's interesting to me that at the very hour of Earth's history, when men and women need a clear understanding of truth, they are confused and bewildered, not knowing which way to to turn. Today, many churches claim to be God's end-time church. However, they tend to differ so widely in biblical teaching, interpretation, and practice. Most people have come to the point where they've just given up. They have just given up. They are totally confused by this incredible array of churches that they are faced with. You turn to the yellow pages and there, depending on where you live, especially if you live in one of the the larger cities, there is page after page after page of different churches to choose from. So why do people choose a church, a particular church to belong to. I've asked this question of a number of people. Um, why do they go to the, particular choose, uh, to the particular church that they have chosen? And these are some of the reasons that people give of why they go to a particular church. Some say, well, it's the church I grew up in. My whole family goes there. It's where mum and dad went. It's where grandpa and grandma went. It's where my great-grandparents went. And so if it was good enough for mum and dad, good enough for my grandparents, good enough for my family, well, it's good enough for me, I guess. Then there are others that go to a particular church because that's where all their friends go. I mean, there's nothing wrong with hanging out with where your friends are. We all like to be with friends and um, spend time with friends, especially on the weekends when most people go to church. There are then there are those that go to a particular church because the people are friendly. I've had a number of people say to me that they go to a particular church because the people there are friendly. Often people will drive by a number of other churches of the same denomination in order to get to their particular church uh, because I guess, yeah, the people are friendly and they feel, they feel uh, accepted and loved in that environment. Another reason why people go to a particular church is because they may have a wonderful music program or possibly a wonderful choir. Then there are those that go to a particular church because the minister is so nice. He's just a lovely guy. He preaches just what they want to hear and what they need to hear. And and they just love the pastor. And often it's happened in my situation. I have moved from one church to another. And there have been people from my previous church that have followed me to the other church. And um, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. Then there are those that say it's good for business. They may want to be part of a particular church because there's a lot of members there. And I guess maybe as a, as a 
auto mechanic or an electrician or if you're in some form of in some trade, you may think it's good for business. In fact, one individual um, shared that the reason why he went to this huge church, this mega church uh, filled with hundreds of, of people was that, um, yeah, as a mechanic, it was good for business. Then there are those that go to a particular church because the person they want to marry goes there. Now, they've come across someone who they think is wonderful, they want to spend the rest of their time with, and that person goes to that particular church, and so they change churches in order to spend time with that person and, um, and ultimately seek to do whatever they can to impress upon them that they need to spend the rest of their life with them. Well, these are just a few reasons. There's probably many others why people go to a particular church. But my question is, and your question ought to be, our question ought to be, how should a follower of Jesus determine which church to attend and be part of? Is it because the people are friendly or the minister is great or the music is great or the food is great? Do we go to the yellow pages and just do an eeny miny mo and just pick a church that's possibly closest to our home or, or whatever the case may be. How do we determine what church we ought to be at? Well, my friends, this, I believe, is the only reason that you ought to give why you go to a particular church. And that is, you need to go to the Bible. I need to go to the Bible. We need to go to the Bible to find out what Bible truth is. Then, by God's grace, And through the direction that his word offers, we need to find a church that teaches in harmony with the Bible. Isn't that right? It doesn't matter what I say or what you say or what anybody says. What matters at the end of the day is what God says through his word. And so we need to find a church that teaches the truths that are found in the Bible. Now, let's ask a few all-important questions when it comes to church. Firstly, at the, at the very outset, let's ask the question, who established the Christian church? Who established the Christian church? Well, the clue is in the, in, in the question that I have posed. Christian, where does that come from? It comes from the word Christ, obviously. A follower of Christ is called a Christian. And so Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Notice Jesus made it absolutely crystal clear to Peter that he is the one that is the foundation of the church. He says, I am that rock. I am that rock, capital R, rock, and I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a wonderful promise Jesus gave to Peter and and to all of his believers. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, the apostle Paul writes, And he, that is Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from all the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So as far as the apostle Paul was concerned, it was Christ He is the head of the body or the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul once again writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So there is one body, there is one church. In fact, Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 16, he said, And there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. Not hundreds, not thousands, 
but one flock, one church, and one shepherd. Just like there's one Bible, there's one truth. In John 10, verse 27, Jesus shared, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Following the voice of the Good Shepherd. Is it your aim to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd? To follow the voice of the one who said, My sheep, those who belong to me, those who love me, those who want to serve me, those who want to follow my truth, the beautiful truth that sets men and women free. You remember what Jesus said about truth. Jesus in John 14 verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Those who love Jesus love his truth. They love his word, which is truth. The book of Revelation, as we are discussing and seeking to discover God's end time remnant church, beautifully describes God's church in the end times. Well, you may be asking, where in the book of Revelation does Jesus describe his church? You will find his church described there in the very heart of the book of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 12 to Revelation chapter 14. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, John the Revelator describes the rise of the Christian church from the time of Christ all the way through to the second coming of Jesus. And right at the very end, the last verse in the book in Revelation chapter 12, we don't unfortunately have time to go through all of Revelation 12. I'd love to do that with you, but we just don't have the time. I'd encourage you to do that in your own time and unpack the the history of the the Christian church there for the last 2,000 years. But in the final verse in Revelation chapter 12, we have these words describing God's end-time remnant church immediately before Jesus comes the second time. In Revelation 12, 17, John writes, And the dragon, do you remember who the dragon was? That's right. The dragon is a symbol for Satan himself. And the dragon was wroth with the woman or angry with the woman. And the woman, as we have already mentioned, is a symbol for the church and went to make war with the remnant of her seed or the remnant of her offspring or the rest of her offspring. Notice they are described as those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice here, God describes his pure church, this pure virgin, this woman that is faithful to her groom, Jesus Christ. And she is described as one that keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to unpackage a little more of this woman, this church of Jesus Christ, and how we can identify her from the book of Revelation, how we can know for certain the church that God has in these last days. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to identify Revelation's end-time church from the book of Revelation. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 
or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Welcome back. We concluded the first part of this message by taking a look at how God in the book of Revelation has identified his end-time church, his church that is seeking to share his wonderful truth at the end of time with the whole world just before Jesus comes to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. And we discover that the dragon, Satan, is angry with God's end-time church. Well, let's take a look a little closer now as we identify God's end-time church from the book of Revelation. Firstly, the Bible says in verse 17 of Revelation 12, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. God's end-time church is referred to as the remnant. Now, the word remnant in the King James Version, um, if you take a look at your Strong's Concordance, you will discover that word appears around 90 times. And the word is a description most of the time of God's people, uh, a small portion of God's people who have been faithful ever since the beginning of time. You see, the enemy has managed to get his hands around the majority of God's professed people at different times in earth's history. But God has always had a small remnant. And we're going to, and I'll give you some, some uh, illustrations of that as we go along. But firstly, we want to discover that the word remnant symbolizes truth. It symbolizes those who stand for truth, those who stand on God's word alone. As you'll remember, we discovered that Jesus himself said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So God's word is truth. Jesus, we shared earlier, said, I am the way, the truth and the life. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, and you are my disciples indeed. If you hold to my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, speaking of the church to young Timothy, he wrote, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God or in the, in the church of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Notice, God's church the church of the living God needs to be grounded on the firm foundation of Bible truth. As I pointed out a moment ago, God's people have always been faithful to his truth. God has always had a remnant 
a remaining few, the few that were true and faithful all the way down through time. At the beginning of time, God created Adam and he created Eve, and they were God's remnant. They were God's light bearers. They were faithful to his truth. But unfortunately, their descendants walked away from the truth until God was left with Noah. Noah and and his family, his wife and, and three sons and their wives, eight in all, that is all that was left for God to save. They were the remnant that were saved before the flood. Well, things deteriorated and God raised up Abraham. He called him out of Ur the Chaldees and he raised up Abraham and the children of Israel. But as many know, sadly, the children of Israel as a nation, they walked away from God's plan for them as his ambassadors. And then Christ came onto the scene of history and Jesus raised up the early church. But as we've discovered Sadly, after Christ left, after the, after the disciples passed away, in the ensuing centuries, the church and the state came together and compromise came into the church. Errors and, and traditions from the pagan religions that surrounded God's people came into the church. Traditions, penances, indulgences, images, human dogmas, and all sorts of other traditions came into the church. Well, the question was asked by God's faithful people. You see, God had a faithful people all the way through those past 2,000 years. Even though many turned away from God and His truth, God still had a faithful people, faithful to the Word of God. Notice what the Bible says in Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. Well, there's only one chapter in the book of Jude, so it's verse 3. Jude writes, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, God's people were encouraged to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. That faith that was delivered through Christ that was delivered through his disciples, that was delivered through the mighty Apostle Paul. God's people were encouraged to contend earnestly for that precious truth. And there were those that did contend for the truth. Reformers, God raised up his light bearers. Today, we refer to them as the reformers, men and women who were not willing to bend the knee to error, who were not willing to bend the knee to tradition. Individuals like Martin Luther, whose, whose, whose cry was sola scriptura, or the Bible and the Bible alone. Individuals who were willing to give their very lives in order to be true to God's word, in order to serve Jesus Christ. They contended for the faith earnestly, so earnestly that they were willing to spill blood in order to be true to God's truth, to God's word. Individuals such as Martin Luther, who I have mentioned, John Huss, Jerome, the Waldenses, John Calvin, Wesley, John and Charles Wesley, and many, many, many others, William Tyndale, 
And so many can be named men and women who contended earnestly for the faith that was delivered to them through the scriptures. God had his light bearers. He had his men and women who were faithful to him. Men and women who would want to follow Christ, want to follow his word and want to do his will. And so this brings us now to Revelation's remnant. We have seen this progression. We have seen God's remnant down through the ages from Adam to Noah to Abraham and Israel to Jesus and the early church to the reformers. And we've only mentioned just a few names. And finally, God would raise up a remnant at the end of time. And that is what the book of Revelation describes. Now, as we continue to take a look at Revelation's remnant, let's remind ourselves of this scripture that so beautifully and so accurately describes God's end time remnant. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and he went to make war with the remnant of her seed. We've discovered what the remnant is. The remnant is God's faithful people who are true to his word, who are true to the truth that has never changed. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. His truth does not change. His truth is eternal. We continue reading in Revelation 12, 17. The remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's pause and let's take a look at this second identification mark of God's end time remnant. They are described as those who keep the commandments of God. How many commandments? There are 10 commandments. How many commandments do you think God's end time remnant will keep? All 10. All 10. They are all equally important, including the fourth that begins with the word remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sadly, most of the Christian world today has forgotten what God has said to remember to its own detriment. Those who keep the commandments of God, not to be saved, as we have already discovered, but because they are saved. We are not saved by by the law. We are not saved by keeping the commandments. We are not saved by good deeds. The Apostle Paul was crystal clear when he wrote in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, you are saved by God's grace alone. Not by anything that you can do, but by God's amazing grace. We are saved by God's grace alone. And there is nothing that we can add. There is nothing we can add to our salvation that has been freely given to us through Jesus Christ and his death on Calvary's cross. So let's be clear. We are not saved by keeping the commandments of God. However, those who are saved, they show their loyalty to Christ by being obedient. In fact, we have already noted this in the past. The greatest form of allegiance and loyalty that one can show someone else is obedience. Obedience. I've been faithful to, to my wedding vows 
to my wife for the past 20 years. When I said I will marry you, I made it very clear to her and to everybody else, including myself, before God, before many witnesses, that I would be true to her alone, that I would remain pure, and I would not be defiled with any other woman or women, that I would be true to her. Now, why am I loyal to my wife? Why have I shown her my allegiance? It's because of my love for her. And that's what love is. Love equals loyalty. Love equals allegiance. Those who we love, we honor and we obey. That is why children are invited by God, it's the fifth commandment, to love their parents. Love and honor your mother and father. It's because of that love. In Revelation 14 verse 12, here God once again describes his end time people in these words. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They keep the commandments of God. In Psalm 119 verse 142, David writes, Your law is truth. In verse 151, he writes, All your commandments are truth. In fact, in the final chapter in the book of Revelation, we have these words. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14, John writes, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Notice, they are blessed. That word there, blessed, can also be translated happy. Happy are those who do or who keep his, that is, Christ's or God's commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So those who are keeping God's commandments, are entering into the gates of the city. Now, the enemy doesn't want you and me to keep God's law of love. Because notice who is on the outside of the city. In verse 15, we continue to read, But outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. So who do we have outside the city? We have commandment breakers. Those who keep the commandments out of love for Christ are inside the city. Those who break the commandments, those who couldn't care less about the commandments, the Bible says they are outside the city. And finally, finally, let's allow Jesus to have the final word. Don't you think? Let's allow him to share what the commandments are all about. In a nutshell, in John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, Keep my commandments. Could Jesus have stated it any more beautifully? Could it be any simpler? You don't need to have a degree or any form of education to understand that. Jesus says, if you truly love me, keep my commandments of love. And that's what God's law is. Let's never forget that God's law of love is just that. It's a law of love. God's law is designed to bless us. God's commandments are there to, to enrich our lives, to draw us closer to God, to draw us closer to one another, to enrich our relationships. That is the purpose of God's law. Thirdly, Revelation identifies God's end-time remnant church as those who have the faith of Jesus. Revelation fourteen twelve. 
It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God, which we have just read, and the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus. That's an interesting phrase, the faith of Jesus. Those three words, faith of Jesus, can be translated as faith of Jesus, as in this group has the faith that Jesus had, that faith that Christ had in his Father, that unyielding faith, that faith where he was willing to submit and surrender everything into his Father's hands, including bearing the sins of the world, including drinking that cup in Gethsemane filled with the sins of the world. He prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, Father, but your will be done. That is the faith of Jesus, willing to give everything because of Jesus, willing to even die if necessary because of Jesus. But it also means not just faith of Jesus. It can be translated as faith in Jesus. That's right, faith in Jesus. They have put their faith and trust in Jesus alone. He alone is their Savior. He alone is the one that strengthens them. As the Apostle Paul wrote, and many believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, and there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it's one of my favorite all-time scriptures where, where the author there says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Those who look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. What a beautiful scripture. And so God's end time people are described as those who have the faith of Jesus and those who have faith in Jesus. Let's move to our next identification, Mark. There are many. Today, we will only look at, we'll only look at six. And we're up to number four. God's end time remnant church is identified as a church or a group of people, a remnant people who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Back to Revelation twelve seventeen, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? That is a very good question, a very good question indeed that we need to answer. There are many that have supposed the testimony of Jesus Christ or those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ are those who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. They've been saved by Jesus Christ. Their life has been transformed by the love of Christ, and now they have a testimony. They have an experience, a life experience that they want to share with others. In a secondary sense, that is what the testimony of Jesus Christ could mean. However, in the primary sense or in the biblical sense, the testimony of Jesus Christ is described for us or defined for us in A few chapters later in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 10, where we have these words written, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Notice the primary meaning of this phrase, the testimony of Jesus Christ, is that it is the spirit of prophecy or the prophetic gift. 
the Holy Spirit, according to the New Testament, has given many spiritual gifts to the church, all for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, building up the believers in the church, and giving them the power and the skills and the abilities and the gifts in order for the church to reach out to a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of those gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to the church all the way from the beginning of the church age up until now and and all the way through human history, Old Testament, New Testament, is the gift of prophecy, where God has chosen men and women through whom he has shared his messages to the church. They have been, if you like, um, instruments or God's mouthpiece. So that is what the spirit of prophecy is. So God has shared that in his end time church, he will raise up the spirit of prophecy. He will raise up the gift of prophecy. He He will give to a man or a woman or to several, he will give messages that need to be shared with the church. And the church ultimately needs to share them with the whole world. Now, how can we tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? Because Jesus said, in the last days, beware, beware in the last days, for many false prophets will arise. That's in Matthew chapter 24, and we've looked at that in the past. So how can we tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. Do we just go on their word? Notice the Bible gives us five tests of how we can test whether a person is a true prophet or not. The first one being biblical faithfulness. The prophet of God. They need to be true to the word of God alone. You see, it's the same Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writers of the Bible who will also inspire the prophet. And as we have discovered and I've already shared, God doesn't change. God's truth remains. God will not share with his biblical prophets one message and then with another person that he raises up, he will not share something contrary. God is not a God of confusion. God is a God that shares the truth, the everlasting truth. And so God's true prophet, in order to be God's true prophet, the first test that he or she must pass is biblical faithfulness. They must be faithful to the Bible and the Bible alone, sola scriptura. If what they share is not in harmony with the scriptures, you need to put a big cross against that person for they are not a true prophet of God. Secondly, they need to have prophetic accuracy. That's right. God knows the end from the beginning. So what this person says needs to come to pass because if God is speaking through this person, God knows the end from the beginning. And so there needs to be prophetic accuracy. Thirdly, the prophet needs to speak in harmony with God's Ten Commandments. God's Ten Commandments. I could give you scriptures on all these, but we don't have time. But you can find this all there in the scriptures. Fourthly, the true prophet of God always will exalt Jesus, will always uplift Christ. You remember what Jesus shared in Luke chapter 24? 
on the road to Emmaus with those two discouraged disciples. He shared with them that the scriptures, the scriptures testified of Christ all the way through. And he was speaking of the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. The center is Jesus Christ. And so a true prophet of God will always uplift Jesus, always point people to Jesus. John, not John the Revelator, John the Baptist, he cried out when he looked at Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God. John said, He must increase, but I must decrease. A true prophet of God will always exalt Jesus. And the fifth test, there are, there are some others as well, but we'll just stick to five. The fifth test is that a true prophet of God will have spiritual fruitage. What do I mean by that, spiritual fruitage? Well, their life will testify that they are connected with Jesus Christ. They will have the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 there, we're told that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These will be the fruits that will be clearly evident in the life of a true prophet of God. Now, has God raised up a true prophet in the midst of the remnant? Absolutely. And I'll share, with that, and I'll share that with you in, in, in just a little bit. But let's move on to our fifth identification mark. God's end-time remnant will be a worldwide movement. You remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 14, where Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel will go to all the world. And then the end will come. And we have here in Revelation chapter 14, and this is just so, so, so exciting. In Revelation 14 and verse 6, we have the gospel that Jesus spoke of that needs to go to the whole world. We have it here in Revelation 14, 6 in an end time context. Check out these incredible words. Revelation 14 verse 6. This is the first part of the three angels' messages. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That is the gospel that Jesus spoke of. And so God's end-time church, in order for God's end-time church to be just that, God's end-time church, it must share the gospel or the everlasting gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Now, what is that everlasting gospel? It is unpackaged through the three angels' messages. That brings us to identification mark number six. God's end-time church would preach the everlasting gospel, God's final message of love, known as the three angels' messages. Three angels with, with three messages from heaven. And you can read them in Revelation 14, verses 6 to verse 12. God's final message of love that needs to go to all the world. And how do we know that this is God's final message of love to the world? Well, we don't have time, but you go and you open up to Revelation 14 and verses 14 to 20. Immediately following the three angels' messages, once they have been proclaimed to the whole world, once the entire world population has had an opportunity 
to either accept or reject the everlasting gospel. Then the next event that John describes is the second coming of Jesus. That's right. Verses 14 to 20 of Revelation 14 describe the second coming of Jesus. Those that will be saved and sadly, those that will be lost. So this is God's final message of love to the world. Now, the million dollar question that we need to ask that I'm sure you are asking because you're on the edge of your seat as you're listening to this presentation and you're wondering, is there a church? Is there a church, Danny, that fulfills every single one of these six identification marks that God has given in his word to describe and clearly identify his end time church? Is there a church today that God can point to and say, yes, this is my church? Though it is not perfect, for Christ alone is perfect, and though and though there there, there may be other other things in the church that that aren't what they ought to be, but is there a group of people that God can point to, that Jesus Christ can point to, and say, "This is my group of people who are sharing the everlasting gospel to the whole world." Is there such a group, my dear friend? If this message was that important to God that he put it in the book of Revelation, then God will clearly identify his end-time church. And he has, and it's not difficult to find. In fact, the truth is there is only one church on earth today that fits every single one of these six identification marks that God has given in his word. What are those six? Let's just take a look at them again. Firstly, it's called God's remnant church. In other words, it needs to stand on God's word alone. Secondly, it keeps all of God's commandments. Thirdly, it has the faith of Jesus or it has faith in Jesus. Fourthly, it will have the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy or the prophetic gift in its midst. Number five, it would be a worldwide movement. And finally, number six, a worldwide movement sharing the everlasting gospel or the three angels' messages. There is only one church today on planet Earth that has all these six identification marks, and that, my friend, is the Seventh-day Adventist church. That's right. Revelation identifies God's end-time remnant church as the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, does that mean that only those who are part of the Seventh-day Adventist church will be saved? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God has his faithful people in all Christian denominations. In fact, God has his faithful people in all the world religions. There are over 7 billion people living on planet Earth. And God has his faithful people in all nations, in all cultures, in all towns and cities and villages, even those who have refused God, even those who refer to themselves as atheists, God has his faithful people even in their number. God, at the end of time, is calling people to himself through Jesus Christ. God is calling people to come into his end time church. In the end, there will only be two groups, the saved and the lost. 
those who have followed the truth or those that have continued in error. God has his church. God has his remnant, as he always has down through history, from the days of Adam to Noah to Israel to Christ to the Reformers to today. God has his faithful people. He has a church. He has a church today, the Seventh-day Adventist church, that he has that he has birthed. This is not a church. This is a movement, an end-time prophetic movement that is sharing the everlasting gospel. So let's go through and let's take a look. If the Seventh-day Adventist church does fulfill every single one of these six identification marks, does it stand on God's word alone? Absolutely. The Seventh-day Adventist church believes in sola scriptura, the Bible and the Bible alone, for all of its faith and practice. Secondly, does it keep all of God's commands? Does it teach that every single one of the Ten Commandments are important, including the fourth, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Absolutely. Does the Seventh-day Adventist church believe that we are saved by faith in Jesus alone? Absolutely. Do we believe that by the grace of God and through the power that Christ gives, we can have the faith of Jesus? Absolutely. Fourthly, does the Seventh-day Adventist church have the testimony of Jesus Christ or the spirit of prophecy or the prophetic gift in its midst? Absolutely. God raised up a young 17-year-old girl in the United States back in 1844 by the name of Ellen White, and he gave her the gift of prophecy. And during 70 years of ministry, she was faithful to the word. The things that she prophesied that God gave her today are being fulfilled. If we had time, I could share with you a lot concerning that. But God has raised up a prophet in, 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 his, in, in the midst of his remnant church. Is it a worldwide movement? Absolutely. The Seventh-day Adventist church is present in more countries around the world than any other Protestant church. Does it preach the everlasting gospel, the three angels' messages? Well, absolutely. I don't need to share that with you. You have heard during the course of these presentations the three angels' messages being being shared loud and clear. The truth is, my friend, the dragon, Satan, he is angry with the woman, as we have read in Revelation twelve seventeen, He is angry with the woman. If only he can get his hands around the remnant, if only he can get his hands around God's end-time faithful people who are giving the trumpet a certain sound, who are sharing the everlasting gospel, if only he can capture them, he will have the whole world, the whole world deceived But God will not allow that to take place because God will continue to sustain the remnant. God will continue to sustain his people. In the days of Noah, the cry was, come into the ark and be saved. There was only one ark. There weren't 20 different arks. There weren't 20 different options of being saved from the flood. There was only one. Today, God is saying, he is inviting us, all of us, to come into his remnant church. And why wouldn't you want to come into God's remnant church? Why wouldn't you want to be part of God's end time movement that he has raised up? A people who are weak and they're frail 
and they have faults and they are growing day by day in Christ, but are people who love Jesus, are people who love his truth, are people who want to share the three angels' messages, are people who want to share the gospel with all the world. Why wouldn't you want to be part of that group of people? In Revelation 18, verse 4, the voice is heard from heaven, come out of her, my people, that is, come out of Babylon, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Jesus said in John 10, 16, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. In verse 27, he goes on, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My friend, I want to give you an invitation. At the very end of our time together in this series, The Search for Certainty, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision for Jesus, to answer the voice of the Good Shepherd. And the voice of the Good Shepherd is clear. My sheep. Are you part of his sheep? Are you part of the flock of Jesus Christ? My sheep, hear my voice, the sweet voice of Jesus, and I know them and they follow me. Jesus knows who you are, my friend. He knows your heart. He knows that you are a seeker for truth. He knows that you love him with all your heart. He knows that you want to follow him. He knows that you want to be loyal to him. He knows that. He sees in the innermost recesses of your heart. He sees you and he's inviting you today to follow him, to follow him, to be part of his end time church, to be part of a group of people who have been called, who have been raised up by God at the end of time to share the message of love with the world, to share this beautiful message that you have been hearing. Why not be part of this group? Why not be part of this church? If you'd like some information to be part of this church, I want to encourage you to write in or to phone or to get on the 3ABN radio website where you will find all the information that you need. Get in touch with someone. I'd even love to talk with you if you'd like that, and I'm happy to provide my details at the end of the program. And we can talk some more and, and I can encourage you further on your journey. God today is inviting us. He's inviting us all to be part of his one flock. He is the true shepherd. He wants us to be part of his end time church. His church is going through to the very end. God has raised up a people at the end of time and he wants you and your family to be part of his people. He wants you to be an ambassador for him. He wants you to be an individual who will, who will be able to shine the light of truth, the truth that sets people free in Jesus. Why not be part of this movement? I want to invite you, my friend, to pray, to seek the Lord, to ask him if this is indeed so, if what I have shared with you is true, if what I have shared with you is from God's word, if it's crystal clear that it is from God's word, then there is only one thing left to do. And that, my friend, is to ask Jesus to give you the strength 
to make the decision to be part of his end-time remnant church, his end-time remnant movement, a movement that is sharing the everlasting gospel, preparing people for the second coming of Jesus, sharing God's final message of love to the world. If that's your decision, my friend, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your truth. We thank you so much that in this day and age of confusion, there is so much confusion in the world today, in the religious world today. Men and women, boys and girls have no idea which way to go forward. Many have given up searching. Many have come to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter. It's impossible to know whether you, Lord, have a church, whether you have a people, whether you have raised up an end-time remnant movement to share the everlasting gospel. But, Lord, today, through your word, through the precious book of Revelation, you have revealed to us, you have revealed to us the truth that, Lord, you do, in fact, have an end-time movement. You have raised up a remnant, a group of people, more than a century and a half ago, to share the everlasting good news with the whole world. And we have identified this end-time remnant movement as the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We thank you, Lord, for this church that you have raised up. We count it a privilege to be invited to be part of this church, to share this message of love with the world. At the same time, we realize it's a, it's a, it's a heavy responsibility. And we ask and pray for your grace, for your strength, that we may be faithful to your cause and to your truth. So bless us all. Bless every listening ear. And prepare us all for the soon coming of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 